this is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Uh, how many of you have seen Top Gun? Uh, yeah. How many of you loved it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I loved it. I'm welcoming back movies. Uh, we have had a void for a long time. It wasn't just COVID, by the way. It was about 10 years before COVID. Like, they, they just quit trying, or they, they put all these agendas in movies. And, and my 18-year-old boy saw it a couple of days or weeks before we saw it. And he, he went to, like, the 9 o'clock show. It was 11 o'clock something at night when he got home. And he came and woke us up. And, uh, and said, I just have to tell you, best movie I've ever seen in my whole life. And, and I, you know, I thought, that's a big statement. And then I thought, well, he's only 18. And, and uh, it has been a while. And, and after I saw I said, what did you love about it? He said, no agenda. There was no political agenda. It was just a story. And uh, I went to see it. Uh, and I remember thinking, in fact, as I walked out, this was the thought I had. The old formula still works. It still works. Create a climax, a hero, a villain, and, and turn it, and, and that story works without trying to create some agenda uh, that is being forced down my throat or, or your throat. I don't know if you notice this about movies, but genres have seasons, right? And, and uh, like, a, like a few years ago, superhero movies. When my boys were little, like uh, elementary school, like I could count on days that I could skip them out of school and go see a great superhero movie with the boys, and uh, that, they've run out of ideas. Now the superhero movies are all not good, right? They ran out of ideas, but it'll come back in a few years. It'll, they'll figure it out. And they'll go back to the old formula and the old stories. But, but one genre that that happened to for sure is uh, zombie uh, movies. And uh, back in the 50s and 60s, it was giant, right? And I wasn't alive in the 50s and 60s, but I saw Back to the Future. And uh, <laughs> the, 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 those were the movies they were seeing, right? And, and, and so, but 80s, 90s, that went away. But, but then there was that hit TV show, The Walking Dead. Anybody watch The Walking Dead? It's about zombies and what if they're real and how would you kill them and all of that. And the truth is I never really got into it. I, I have discovered I like alive things, not dead things. And, and, uh, but, but I never got into it. But there was uh, one movie uh, in that genre that I did love. Uh, this movie uh, <laughs> about dead people. You remember Weekend at Bernie's? Like... Uh, uh, it was a whole thing, right? Like they show up to the party and he's dead. And, and instead of calling the police, they pretend to pretend that he's alive the whole movie and they're water skiing and parties. It's a whole thing. If you had HBO in the eighties, you saw it because it was on seven times uh, a, a day. But, but then there was another movie that happened about that time, uh, a few years later that rocked all of our worlds about dead people. It, it was this one. The Sixth Sense, right? You remember that one? Biggest twist ending of all time in the history of movies up until that point was found in that particular movie. And uh, we we loved the movie and it blew our minds, right? It blew our minds. And for those of you who haven't seen it, I'll spoil it for you. Bruce Willis is dead the whole movie. And and, and you say, well, why did you spoil it? You're 25 years behind. That's like me saying to you, Adam and Eve, they ate the apple. I mean, like... you should have paid attention and you should have seen it before. But, but uh, by the way, it was, we didn't know he was dead. But there were hints there. It was all over. In the first scene of the movie, he shot with a gun. Like we should have seen that he was dead, right? His wife didn't speak to him for two hours of the movie, which covered a year in, in their lives. And we just found it more plausible she was giving him the silent treatment that, uh, for a year than, than he was dead, right? That's the power of you women, right? That we believe that, that, that you could do that for a whole year. Uh, but, but there was a line in that movie. Do you remember the line? Say the line with me. 
I see dead people, right? And, and, and that line just blew our, our minds. And we got out of that <clears throat> movie. In fact, the, the follow-up line to I see dead people is not nearly as famous as I see dead people, but it's I see dead people and they don't know they're dead. And I don't know if you do this or not, but as a parent, like I grew up a legalist, like in Baptist church, I grew up legalist and, and got set free, but there's still some roots. There's still some roots there in, in me. And every once in a while I visit legalism. And, and, and so when I go see movies, I'm afraid we have wasted you know, our time or filled our hearts with something. And, and so I do discussion questions with my kids after the movie, you know, to redeem it. And, and to focus their hearts on like, hey, do you see any biblical themes? Is there anything that, you know, like I'm like, like plugged in online is like, you know, me. And, and, and so we do these questions. But coming out of that movie, it was like revelation, right? That, that, that I see dead people and it hit us like, oh, the director's not talking about zombies. He's talking about real people who are walking around dead who have no life in them. And when you understand that revelation, right, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. In chapter 3, Jesus is walking among his churches, and he says, I see dead people. I see dead people in the church. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. Let's look at it together. And by the way, this is to the seven churches. Last year in our church, we studied all seven of these letters and walked through them. The big vision is found in chapter one. Okay, John gets this big vision and then he writes a letter to seven specific churches and he takes a snippet from the big vision in chapter one and then puts it in each of these seven letters, uh, the part of the vision that's more, most apropos to that particular church. Okay, and so that's what he's doing in, in this one to the church at Sardis. Write this letter to the angel. By the way, most scholars think the angel of each church is the pastor. Amen? And, and uh, uh, you, you laugh at that, but that's actually what scholars think. They think this is the pastor of the church. Every church has an angel, and it is the one called uh, to, to shepherd it. The messenger is a better word if, if angel you're choking on. The, the, to, to the letter of the messenger of the church in Sardis. Say Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. Now, it's a bit confusing, okay? And so you have to really study to, to dive into this particular book of the Bible. But, but the sevenfold spirit of God, people read that and they say, Pastor, do we have seven spirits? The seven Holy Spirits? Like as if the, the, the Trinity is not confusing enough, right? That now we come to the sevenfold spirit. No, we only have one Holy Spirit. Okay, rest. Take a deep breath. I'm not a heretic. There's one spirit. But he does have seven facets. In fact, Romans 12 lists the seven motivational gifts, okay? And here's what we know. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, all seven. But because we are fashioned in the image of, of uh, God, we are given one of those motivational gifts, right? Because we're fashioned into the Spirit of God. And that's the place, by the way, where we are most easily attached to the Spirit of God in, in our lives, that he flows, like water flows down the path of least resistance. The Holy Spirit flows into our lives through that motivational gift. But it's one of the seven facets. Now, when the body comes together, the church comes together, we're all of them, right? And we're a reflection of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11 talks about these seven spirits, right? And, and in your Bible, in Revelation, a couple of times it appears, it, the, it's capitalized. The S is capitalized because it's talking about the Holy Spirit, okay? And so the, this is what's playing out in this text. And he says, I'm writing to you these things, and I want you to know uh, uh, these things. And so Jesus is concerned about the fact that he sees dead people in the church. It's not what he lived for. 
It's not what he came to earth for. It's not what he died for. It's not what he rose again for. He rose to set the church free and to mobilize the church. In fact, write this tidbit down if you would. That, uh, uh, we didn't read this. Okay, let me read this one. I forgot to read this part of it. I know all the things you do, which that is a little weird, right? That can come across scary. This is, this is what we do with Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake, which is a freaky thing to tell children. But, but, but the Spirit of God is saying, I know all the things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. This is the message to the church at Sardis from, from the Holy Spirit, right? And, and to the pastor. And Jesus is concerned about this because this is not what he wants them to be. And it's not what he died for. Now, here's the tidbit I want you to write down. Going through the motions will just make you tired. I don't know if you know that or not, but going through the motions actually makes you feel more tired. When you're not making progress, you're just pretending. You're just going through the motions. In fact, let me, let me talk about uh, a non-controversial controversial subject for a second. Let's talk about vaccines. <laughs> and uh, you, you, you say, you're a guest preacher. You're going to bring that up. You'll offend some people in the room. I will offend all of you, I assure you, uh, by, by, by the end of this time together. I, I'm no uh, respecter of men. I'll offend all of you. But but let's talk about vaccines for a second because it's been in the news and a little bit mentioned in the media. But but let's not talk about COVID vaccine, okay, because that will freak you out. Let's just talk about vaccines before COVID vaccines. What what is a vaccine? Now, I'm on the phone a few months ago with a pastor friend like Ted who who is a friend and a confidant. and, And sometimes pastors in this culture, we need to have safe moments where we can vent and flesh out and ask questions and say, I, I don't know about that, right? And we, we know elsewhere we're being recorded. Demon bloggers are alive and well. And, and, and all of this stuff happens, right? And we're going to be taken out of context. All of those things are going to happen. So we need safe conversations. And I'm dumb enough to tell you about one of my safe conversations. And, and, and so I'm talking to this pastor. And I said, what is a vaccine anyways? And so we Googled it while we were on the phone and, and we looked it up and here's what we found. A vaccine is a dead version of a live thing designed to keep you from experiencing the live thing. Right? You agree with that? Shake your head this way if you agree with that, right? And if you're not shaking your head, you're not listening. Okay, it's not controversial. What I just said is not controversial. That a a vaccine is a dead version of a live thing designed to keep you from experiencing the live thing. And, And here's the revelation. Religion is a vaccine. It's a vaccine. It is a dead version of a live thing designed to keep you from experiencing the live thing. That's why Jesus hates it. Somebody should write that book, Jesus Hates Religion. And, and as we talk, I did, by the way, that was a joke. <laughs> You're slower than the earlier service, right? <laughs> he hates it. Why? Because it ruins all of the opportunity that you and I have to experience intimacy w- with him. Th- this piece of equipment, some of you are wondering, what is that doing up here? We, we found this in Ted's basement. A- and... Uh, <laughs> It had clothes hanging on it. And how many of you have had one of these things before, right? How many of you don't use this thing, right? It ends up in a basement. We hang clothes on it. It becomes something that collects dust. This one has clearly collected dust. I think they got it on the showboat Branson ship. 
And, and, and so the, the, these things are good for exercise and they're good for breaking a sweat, right? That you, you get on and you begin to take a walk. I need to be careful because I got winded in the first service and struggled the rest of the sermon. And, and, and so, but here's what happened in, in, in the latest industry, right? With these or bikes or whatever, people have walked through city streets with GoPros and, and have filmed these things so that you can put this in front of you while you're on a treadmill or while you're on a bike and you can pretend you're in the streets of Paris, seeing all the exotic locals and all the shows and all of the, the, the things. And you can pretend that you're actually going somewhere. But, but the truth is you're not going anywhere. You, you're, you're just going through the motions. You're not actually going for a walk. And you can break a sweat, but you're not really making any progress. And, and the church was never designed to go through the motions. It's not in our DNA. And when we enter seasons where we're just going through the motions, it actually exhausts us and, and makes us tired. The church was never meant to run in place. It was meant to go into the world and to make a difference. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen, we don't wait for gates to come to us. We storm the gates and kick them in in the name of Jesus Christ. And if we sit around, we're in danger. And the people in Sardis, they, they knew this. Sardis, by the way, was the richest of the seven churches and the richest of the seven cities. They had the money. Gold was discovered there. So prospectors came, kings came, rulers came. In fact, the king of the whole region set up his uh, capital in Sardis, but then they got complacent. And, and there's a famous story in history books, all the history books that talk about Sardis, not even just biblical books, but, but history books that talk about Sardis include this one famous story where the Persians came to attack Sardis. Sardis is up on a big hill and, and uh, it's surround, you can see it forever away. And there are three walls around uh, the ancient city of Sardis. You say, well, why three walls? Because on the fourth side, there's a massive cliff, massive cliff. And so they felt like they had the advantage of height and, the, and distance and time and that nobody could, uh, uh, you know, ascend that. And, and this story goes that there was a, a, a soldier from Sardis standing on that cliff and, and the Persians had surrounded them and they were sieging the city and waiting them out. And, and they saw this soldier up on the cliff drop his helmet. And his helmet went banging all the way down the cliff. And, and then a few minutes later, this soldier appeared at the bottom of the cliff, collected his helmet, and then a minute later appeared again at the top of the hill. And, and the Persians knew there's a way in on this side. And because they didn't watch their backside, Sardis fell to the Persians. And, and, and the message for us as the church is this. We don't get comfortable. We don't get complacent. And, and we certainly don't not or avoid watching our backside. If we get complacent, we, we will be taken out from the inside out. And, and this is the message that Jesus is trying to communicate here in this text. And if we think we're impervious or we think we're uh, uh, impenetrable, we, we will become vulnerable. But when we move, we'll see gates fall uh, before us. In, in fact, write this little statement down if you would. Uh, the church is called to be a movement, not a monument. Do, do you understand the difference between those two that, that uh, one is about the past and one is about the future? We, we have seven campuses, uh, six campuses in uh, Tulsa, and, and then we, we have one in Cairo, Egypt, that now runs between three and 4,000 people a week. It's crazy, actually. 
We have, we have one in Alexandria, Egypt, that we started in COVID that, that now runs uh, four or 500 people. I, I remember those days where people were saying as we entered COVID, hey, we need to not spend, we need to quit. And I, I said in a meeting, we need to remodel every campus. And, and our people were like, that's going to appear to be insensitive to the times. And I'm like, they won't know they're not here. But when they come back, let's just finish it all. Well, how do you displace all these people in a church anyway? Let's take advantage of this. Go, 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 go. And people are like, you're crazy, crazy, crazy. And now they're all like, we should have listened to the angel of our church. (laughs) But in all of these remodeling and all of these buildings and all of this stuff that we've done, we've been involved in a lot of it over the time. We have one in, uh, did I mention Amon Jordan? And Amon Jordan as well that is filled with refugees, like three or 400 families of refugees, Iraqi, Sudanese, and Syrian refugees. And, and to watch, it'll blow your mind to watch covered women come in and lift their hands and sing praise songs to Jesus. But never once in all of this building stuff ha- have we spent the majority of the time talking about colors or tile or carpet or whatever, right? Our people are actually working hard and spending countless hours on how to move people. That's what they're thinking about. How do we get people into the parking lot? How do we get people from the parking lot into the children's area to drop off babies, to drop off elementary kids, to drop off teenagers, go to, and then get to the worship center? And believe it or not, a whole lot of energy is spent on how do we get them out of the worship center, back into the parking lot, and out into the streets to be the church and, and to live the gospel of Jesus Christ out there. We don't spend the majority of our time talking about color or fabric or whatever. Now, we do spend time, some time on that. And after 20 years, our buildings are actually beautiful. But, but if our walls were any other color, I wouldn't care. I care more about where people are going and where they're going to spend eternity than I do them loving the beauty of the building. And when we think about monuments, by the way, look at, look at this picture. There, there's an Acropolis in, in Sardis. Now, this is not the one in Sardis, okay? You've seen this one before, but it's a, it's a replica. It looks exactly like the one in Sardis. The one in Sardis is kind of crumbled, and you can't see the shape of it. But this is what it looks like. That's exactly what it looked like on a hill, uh, just like that. But they had three walls on, on the other side. And, and there's a synagogue found in Sardis in the ruins of the size of a football field. Now, synagogues in that day were not big. They were about the size of this stage, the whole synagogue. But there's one that's so big, it's the size of a football field. And and do you know that there are churches that are more concerned about how they look than where they're going? All over the world, they they exist. We travel and pay to see them. Sistine Chapel is an example, right? You've been there? I've been there. It's fascinating. You should pay the money and wait in line for hours and go. But, but what you will see is that people walk in, pay the money, look up at the amazing ceiling, and leave. And that's all. And it's kind of sad. And you say, why is that all? They walk in, look up, and leave because nothing else going on there. It's a monument. It is all about the past. It's not a movement. They've forgotten to be about the future and and to charge the gates of hell and and to knock them down. And as you go through the book of Revelation, that's what it's all about, the fact that we actually are going to charge the gates. We are going to win this battle. Revelation 12, I've preached this here before, uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, that uh, it talks about the battle between Satan and and Jesus. and, And Satan delivers the initial blow, right? And Jesus delivers the final 
final fatal blow on the cross and through the resurrection. Uh, but but it, the writer of Revelation, John, tells us in chapter 12 how we win this thing. Look at what he says. I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Go, go, go on. Uh, verse 10. For the accuser. That's what he is, by the way. He's the accuser of the brethren. And when death and hell were taken away as weapons from him, he, he had to find another one. And the one he found was accusation. And he will accuse the brothers, the saints, day and night, day and night. Uh, and look at what it says. He has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before God day and night, and they have defeated him. In other words, we win. We win. Hey, we're not playing golf. I, I don't respect your little golf clap. I, we win. We win this thing, right? We win this thing. They have defeated him. How? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Listen, we just sang about the blood of the lamb. The, the blood of the lamb, if you're a believer, it covers you. It is covering you. It is washing you, the blood of the lamb. You have the blood applied to your life if you are a believer. The second thing that's true about you is you have a testimony. You have a story of who you were before you came to Christ, how you came to Christ, and what difference he has made in your life. And, and, but we get complacent with the blood. We're just okay with it just being there and not cleansing us anymore or moving us forward or challenging us. Uh, we, we just get okay with it. We get complacent with our testimony. Hear me today. Your testimony is not a marketing tool. And it is not a church growth instrument. Your testimony is a weapon that is used to knock Satan's teeth out. It is a weapon. When you begin to share it, hell starts to shudder. When you begin to share it, the enemy gets nervous. When you begin to share it, demons start to run and flee because it is the weapon that is used by the bride of Christ to, to knock the enemy out. So this church, Sardis, they, they, they got stagnant. And here's what Jesus told them. Back to Revelation 3. Wake up. Say wake up. wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of our God. So let me just give you three things practically, okay? Three things practically. That Write these down, if you will, okay? And, and by the way, you'll remember them better if you write them down. Okay, that's just true about all human psychology. If you involve another sense, you'll write them down. And so get something to write. Write this down with if you would, okay? And if you don't have anything, use your lipstick or mascara. Write this down. <laughs> the, the first thing is wake up. Wake up. It's found right there in the text. Uh, weeks ago or months ago on Facebook, I saw this picture, and, and, and the caption was, who had one of these? Let me ask you that. Who, who had one of these? You still have it. I still have it too. And, and, and here's the, I can afford another one, but it still works. Like, why, why, why do I need another one? Now, the, the downside is, is if you're setting the alarm and you go one minute past, you have to go 24 hours around, you know, to get back to the time that you, you want it to set. But I don't know what your personality is to alarms. I had a roommate in college who it was like the Cold War, the Russians are coming. Ah, ah! I mean, it would wake me up. It would wake the whole dorm up. But he was within three minutes. He had had a shower and was already studying. Most disciplined human being I'd ever met at that point. I like to come gradually into the day. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I coffee and Diet Coke and coffee, sometimes at the same time. <laughs> I, I, I like for 
white noise to start, the blinds to gently... I, I like to come into the world softly. <laughs> Some of you need to be woken, you know, awoken just violently. Some of you like it soft. I, I, but, but Jesus is sounding an alarm. And he's saying to the church, hey, you need to wake up. Wake up from your slumber. Wake up from your sleep. There, there's a couple in our community group. And, and the whole time we've been a church... Meredith and I have attended community groups. In fact, when we started the church, we, I think in the initial stage, we had six community groups. I think today we have 350 community groups. And when we only had six, one of my staff members was like, you need to visit you know, each one. And I was like, I'm not visiting each one. And he asked the same question, why not? I said, because I need a group. For me to preach... That, that everybody needs a group and then not have a group is a bit hypocritical, right? And, and so for 19 years in this church, we've been a part of at least one community group at a time, and I've never led one of them. I just, I just want to be a human. I just want to be in the group. I don't want to perform. I don't want to teach. I just want to have people hold me accountable, and I want to hold other people accountable. And it, 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 I have some parameters. It needs to be the good food groups. I don't want pigs in a blanket and all that nonsense. I, I go to some effort to make the meals, and, and, and the first couple of weeks, the meals were terrible, and I told Meredith, you got to change the standard, honey. Raise the bar. Bring it. And, and, and we brought it, and we changed the standard for all of our community groups from that point forward. Filet mignon every week. <laughs> but this couple in our group is young couple. They're much younger than us, and, and they struggled with infertility for a long time. And if you've not been through that chapter, you do not relate to that chapter. But Meredith and I went through that chapter for about five years. And it's awful, actually. There are moments when the whole thing feels like a science experiment. And it's no longer intimacy and it's no longer love. And it's just, it's awful chapter. And it's depressing. And there are moments where you cry and there are moments when you're excited and then you're let down. And they went through all of that. And we were so passionate about this for them. In fact, this because of our story, it's become a passion for our church. And we have prayed for couples for 19 years and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times God has answered that prayer in our church. I don't know why, but he has answered that prayer in our church over and over again. In fact, I, every Mother's Day, we pray about that. And we have couples standing. We pray over them that are struggling with infertility. And God answers in fact, this last year, the, the, the seven couples at one campus, the Jinx campus, told me, well, last year you prayed for us, and all seven of these couples were given a baby, and they were all like, we're afraid you're going to pray for us again this Mother's Day. <laughs> and and, and, uh, and so God answers, but he did again in this couple's life. He did in this couple's life. And they went through IVF and all of that failure, failure, failure years, and they finally got pregnant, conceived, and had a baby. And she is the sweetest little thing. So our whole group prayed this baby into existence. So we think it's our baby. <laughs> and Eva Kate, in fact, I kid you not, like three weeks, oh, about a month ago, uh, this couple sent out in the community group deal, hey, somebody needs to come get Eva Kate, Mary Catherine sick, Kate's at work, and get her to preschool. I did it. And they were like, we never expected the senior pastor of this mega church to do that. But I was like, I am going to get her. Now, I did not know anymore how to put a car seat in and all of that. But, but, but we listened to some crazy music on the way, and she's talking, and she calls me Abu. She can't say Alex. She says Abu. And she loves me. She's a very discerning baby. <laughs> she loves everybody. She loves, she's so, she loves everybody that holds her. But two weeks into this baby being born, we went to their house. We took him dinner, and, and we're loving on him and praying for him. And he said, I want to show you something. He took me into the baby room, 
and, and there's this bed thing. Uh, it looks like a bassinet, which that word dates me for sure. But, but it looks like a bassinet, but it's not a bassinet. It, it's, it's a piece of technological genius advancement. There's a button you push on the end of the bassinet. Now, there's a thing on the bed, on the mattress, that's like a diaper that we all learned how to, you know, swaddle. And you swaddle the baby into this thing. But then you have a straitjacket that, that, you, that you put around the baby, and the baby is Velcroed to the bed. Now, her hands are free, so don't get freaked out. And, and, and she's laying in the bed. But when she starts to wrestle, and we sat there and watched it. When she starts to wrestle, the mattress starts doing this. And lulls her back to sleep. It's called snoo, by the way. Anybody in here ever heard of snoo? You have one? No. Yeah, you wish, right? They're like $1,500. So what I would say to you is you should save your money. It is worth every penny of this $1,500. Do a GoFundMe. Listen to me. That this thing, and when she begins to get more restless, you can rent it, by the way, for a few months and pay just a few hundred. But it gets... When the baby gets restless more, it starts doing more. And there's a whole uh, escalated noise in the speaker that comes. It starts with white noise, and, you know, and then it goes to wind, and then it goes to rain, and then it goes to... The last level is called subway. Like when the baby is really restless, it's doing this, and the noise is going... Like shaking baby syndrome. Like, you know, like... And it's amazing. But here's what they're finding. A pediatrician designed it. A pediatrician designed this thing, and here's what they found. Babies are sleeping 12 hours at six weeks old. We would have had 10 babies <laughs> if that had existed when we were having babies. We were delirious. Eli didn't sleep one night for two years. <laughs> and so, in fact, I'm not responsible for a single sermon I preached during those two years. I didn't sleep at all. But it is putting babies to sleep 12 hours, six weeks old. And I thought, this guy is a genius. And as I walk out the house that night to get in the truck, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and said, the devil's got the church in a snoo. The devil's got the church in a snoo. Shh. It'll be okay. Shh. Calm down. Take your passy. I don't know if you have kids that called it passy. One of mine called it Bobby, and one of them called it Passy. But the one who called it Passy had a love affair with that thing. <laughs> and, and, and he couldn't even say it out loud because he was so affectionate toward it that when he would say, he would talk like, I want my Passy. Passy. And, and, and it was amazing. This is a, a, a themed song going on here. And... and, 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 and uh, at two years old, we told Eli, hey, Eli, don't, uh, you can't have the passy except for in the bed. That's the stage we've reached. Only in the bed. Passy's only for the bed. And every once in a while, we would look around and go, where's Eli? And, and <laughs> we would turn the corner into his bedroom. He's sitting in the middle of the bed, Indian style, sucking on that thing like a crack addict. Like, <laughs> And he is just after it. But he knew it was the bed, so he would go get in the bed to suck on this thing. And the devil is like, take your passy, take your passy. Singing a lullaby to the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to wake up. We need to wake up to the fact that we are actually in a war. And we have a real enemy who has come to kill, steal, and, and, and destroy. The, the next thing we need to do is, is go back. Look at what the text says, verse 3. 
go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and, and turn to me again. Go back to what you believed at first. And, and th- by the way, going back, some people misinterpret that, that Greek language as go take a review course. That is not the Greek language. The Greek language there is go till up the land again. It's a violent thing. It's a sweat laboring thing. Till up the land and go back. Go over and retill the land so that you never forget. The ruins of synagogue, that synagogue in Sardis, by the way, the mosaic on the floor, it indicates all kinds of syncretism. All kinds of, hey, okay, we'll accept this way now. We'll accept this way. It no longer has to be faith in the Father. This way, this way, this way, which sounds exactly like our culture, right? And if that was the message in that culture, wake up and go back. Maybe that's the message from the church or or the spirit today. Go back and and wake up. And and by the way, the only hope for a dead person, the only hope for a dead church is the power of the sevenfold spirit of God. It's the only hope. Now here's the third one. Write this down. Turn around. Turn around. Repent. When when you came to Christ, he covered your sins. His blood had covered all you were doing, all you had done. Now listen to this theological truth. And all you would ever do. Right? He, he, He covered you. By the way, when he died on the cross, you hadn't committed any of your sins. So when he died to provide for that, it provided for all of your sins. All of them, right? And when it was applied to your life at salvation, it was applied to all of your life. What does that mean? Jesus doesn't need you to say, I'm sorry, ever again. Yet there's scripture that talks about children of God should repent, right? We should repent. When we screw up, we should repent. But here, here's the point. Repentance is not for God. It's for us. He, he doesn't need you to say, I'm sorry, for him. He's fine. You, you're not holding him up, so you can't let him down, right? He's fine. This is about you and me. And, and what he does want is he wants you to walk in freedom. And he knows the way the children of God walk in freedom is through a lifestyle of repentance. But we think that word is such a negative word because some mean, ugly preacher, repent. Freaks take out $1,500 a month billboards to write one word, repent. On a black background with a red font, all caps, exclamation points. That is not the context of that word. The context of that word is a very invitational word from your father. He's saying, turn around, come back, change your mind, repent, come on. To the truth of who you are. That word is not a a religious word. That word is a very invitational word from your heavenly father. He wants you to live free. But what happens if we stay stagnant, if we don't wake up, if we don't realize we're dead in some areas, if we don't move to repentance? Look at what Jesus said. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. You've heard that before, unexpected as a thief. Right, that's second coming kind of stuff. Out of the mouth of Jesus. Matthew, I think 24, 1 Thessalonians, Paul picks it up, right? So Tim LaHaye didn't come up with that, by the way. That's Jesus. Jesus came up with that. But I don't think, even though second coming uh, and Messiah and all of those things are all over the book of Revelation, I don't think that's what this is about. I don't think he's talking about his second coming. He says, if you don't wake up, I'll come. Right? So the advice would be, if you want to keep screwing around, then don't wake up. But he's coming, right? Like a thief in the night. But that's not what he's talking about here. I think he's talking about he's coming with his judgment. He's coming and he will remove the lampstand. And he will take his spirit and put it somewhere else where it's effective, where the mission is going forward, where they're not just going through the motions anymore. 
And look at what he goes on to say. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. I wish I had time to talk about that because that's such an image with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious or overcomers will be clothed in white. We know who the overcomers are, right? It's the believers. Ephesians talks about we're clothed with the the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and Galatians talks about that, and Revelation 9 talks about the the saints being clothed in fine linen. Look at what he says. Uh, I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce them before my father and his angels that they are mine. That sounds familiar to another passage that is second coming passage about if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. Right? You remember that? Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Now, there's, scholars are completely divided on what it means that I will not blot their names out, out of the book of life. What one interpretation is, is that at, at conception, God writes every name in the book of life. And when it becomes apparent that they will not accept Christ or turn to Jesus, their name is blotted out, right? Uh, another translation is, no, 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 he's, he, he, he predestines the elect. He knows who they are. Their names are written in the book of life, and, of course, their names will never be blotted out. There, there's two or three other major interpretations of that. But, but the scholars are divided. But what all scholars agree on are, are two things. There is a book, and what we do with Jesus in this life affects it. And the question is this, will you be there? Will you be there? And here's the the prompting I had yesterday from the Spirit down on the landing is that God wants to save some church people today. Not just people who wandered in. I think he's going to save some who wandered in, some who are guests, some who have just been here a short time. But I think he wants to save some people who have been sitting in church maybe for years but never have been alive Never been connected to the life source. Listen to me. Is it the devil? Is it the Holy Spirit that causes you to doubt, that causes you to wonder? Look, there's a whole lot of debate around that. The Holy Spirit doesn't cause his children to doubt their salvation. That would would be foolish, right? But what the Holy Spirit does do is convict of sin. But but the devil causes believers to doubt. And, And he causes believers to doubt because if you doubt, you'll become ineffective, right, in your walk. You won't share your testimony. You won't walk with freedom. But, but here's something I've never understood is people believing in a moment like this that the Holy Spirit is not the one speaking to you. It's crazy to me to think that. That in moments like this, why would the devil cause you to doubt your salvation? By causing you to doubt, he may kick you actually into the kingdom and into heaven because you're about to be given a chance to respond. And so would you bow your heads, would you close your eyes, would you open your hearts? And I just want to ask this question today. Will you be there? Will will you be there? And and today, I I think the Spirit of God is moving. He did in the first service already, and and several trusted Christ, some of which I believe were not only part of the church, but were servants in the church. But it's possible to be in the church and not have real salvation. And today, if you've wandered in, you're a guest, and this is going to be the day of salvation for you. Praise the Lord for that divine appointment. But I think there's some of you who've been hovering around church for a long time and have never had assurance of salvation. When you lay your head on your pillow at night, you you don't live in a sea of assurance. You, you, You actually live in a sea of doubt. And that's not appropriate for the children of God. 
There's drops of doubt from time to time, but we swim in a sea of assurance when we walk with God and we know Him and He talks to us and, and, and he, he walks with us. And so today, if you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I, I think you're talking to me and I think the Spirit is calling me today. I don't know for sure that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I don't know for sure if he comes tomorrow, he's coming for me. I don't know if I die this week, if I'm going to heaven, but I want assurance of salvation in my life. If that's you in the chapel, in the courtyard, online, here in this room, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me? Just put your hand up and say, pray for me. I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. I don't know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Anybody else, just raise your hand and say, that, Pastor, that's me. So I, I, I prayed that prayer before. Yeah, it's possible to pray the prayer and not have true salvation. I was reading it yesterday by the pool, Acts 9 and Acts 22, where, where Paul gets saved. Saul becomes Paul. He gets saved. And at salvation, he says to the Lord, what should I do? What would you have me do? Listen, if that's not become the attitude of your heart after you accepted Christ, Lord, what do you want? What do you want from me? Not my will, but your will. You, you want to take this from me? You want to give me this? You want, to, you want me to move away from that? You want me to correct this? If that's not the spirit that you inherited, I don't believe it's true salvation. We have this notion that says, hey, I, I can just pray this prayer, fill out this card, walk this aisle, uh, I, I join this church. And live however I want to live with no connection to the Holy Spirit of God. That's not true salvation. That's not biblical conversion. So today I want to lead you in a prayer. Helping you receive Christ. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. I want to encourage those of you who already know Christ to pray with those who, who are doing this today for real. As an encouragement. If you want to trust Christ, would you pray and say, dear God. I know I'm a sinner, but today I ask you to forgive me for all my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I receive you, Jesus. Regardless of what I've done before, today I receive you. Give me assurance of salvation. Now, before we look up and before I say amen, you prayed that prayer and you meant it with all of your heart. You just trusted Jesus Christ to save you. And, and, and you know that you meant it with all of your heart. Would you just raise your hand across the room and say, Pastor, that's me. I, I, I prayed it and I meant it. Just raise it high and let me see it all across the room. There's hands in almost every section. Just, just raise your hand and say, I, I meant that with all of my heart. Now, here, here's what I want to ask you to do. If you just raised your hand, would you just stand up? The rest of you, you stay seated. Your eyes still closed. Your head still bowed. But you just prayed that prayer. You just raised your hand to say, I'm in it. Just stand up. Just stand up. Front row, back row, middle section, every, every section. I prayed that prayer and I meant it with all of my heart. Just, just stand up. Just stand up. Just stand up. Just stand up. Can, can, I, can I say to you, congratulations? Congratulations. And uh, you, in fact, don't sit back down. Here's what I want to ask you to do. If you're standing. I want to ask you just to step out into the aisle. I want one of these people to pray for you, okay? We have prayer counselors right here. We have some in that room. So if you would just make your way uh, around the perimeter of the room or to this, just step out and say, excuse me, and come on, just come on, come on. You don't need to look, but you can celebrate with angels in heaven as men and women and children are moving right now. Just, just come on, just come on, come on, come on, come on.
If you're standing, come on up here if you would. I want to get you with somebody. In fact, they're just going to escort you right into that room over there. So if you guys would just lead the way and just make your way that direction, right over here to the prayer room, okay? And 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 uh, if you would if you would come on and, and they'll help you get there and they'll they're going to pray with you and counsel with you. Some of you sat back down. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Just as we dismiss in a moment, make your way to that prayer room. You say, I don't know what to say. Just say, I prayed that prayer. They know where to take it from there. They'll help you, okay? Father, today we love you. We give you glory and honor for moving in us, with us, and through us. Make us an alive church, Woodland Hills Family Church. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. Thank you.